When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hear that podcast rattling Mean and angry Hear that co-host shouting It's Dana and Jay all right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growlin' Paul Inner Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you on a Tuesday here of AFC Championship Game Week. Bengals are still playing and playing the Chiefs for the second year in a row. Jay, here we go again. We're still here. I remember the day after Halloween, driving home from Cleveland, thinking I might be on a beach somewhere at this time of the <laughs> year. And uh, here we are, still plugging away. This team just, just, just amazing what they've done, um, and, and maybe one of the the most impressive wins of the year. Maybe one of the most impressive of Zach's tenure here uh, last week at Buffalo. I'm gonna, I'm gonna was kind of had that written down uh, for a question. We're gonna have Mo Egger on our weekly segment, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, and I had that as something. It might be the most impressive Bengals win I've ever covered. Yeah, and sure. and I and I can't speak specifically on some of those from se- seasons long ago. Um, you know, AFC Championship victories in the '80s or whatever, or you know, some of the stuff last year certainly was impressive. But just the place, the way they did it how convincing it was, how in control they were, how all three phases against an elite team and an elite quarterback, everything against them, the weather, the emotions of DeMar Hamlin being in the building, like all of that, and to just be that good and dominant, I, it's, 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 as, it's, as, it's as good as it gets. As, in my book, it's certainly off the top of my head. Maybe there's some from the past that I could pull out and, you know, it's hard to even you can't really even put any regular season win up against that just because of the stakes in the moment uh, which was it was just saying something uh all right we've got we're gonna have that uh really excited to have Bengals quarterbacks coach Dan Pitcher is going to join us on this episode uh pitch um has been fantastic you heard him you know, I know before the season started we had him on two on two uh with Sam Francis, and we've had him on in clips during the year, but I thought this was a great time for him to come in and just talk about the insanely high intellectual level that Joe Burrow is playing at right now. Um, so really excited to have Pitch come join us. So he'll be on here in a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about Luana Rumo. We're going to, you're going to hear from him. You're going to ha- hear from Zach Taylor. Uh, you talk about a few of the underrated stars of last week's game and, and uh, in reference to where things are going forward towards Kansas City. Arby's, run past your boot, growler bets, all that stuff coming your way on a very packed show. We got to pack it. There's a lot going on. There is. There's just, there's just, there's just a lot happening. There's just no way around it. There's just a lot happening. Uh, Nate Taylor, of course, uh, will be on our Thursday show. 
um, as we go previewing Kansas City and still poking around on potentially another guest uh, that we might sprinkle in. I don't know. This time of year, you just never know. Uh, where everybody's where, where uh, guests or what's going to happen on the podcast. We're live, you know, we're going. Um, news, all the news this week. We'll start with one thing. Uh, how's that Mahomes guy's ankle, right? I mean, that's where it's all going to start. Uh, and so Andy Reid spoke on it yesterday, says Patrick Mahomes, he's, quote, doing okay. He's going to play. That's his mindset. Um and in case you're wondering about that mindset, he tweeted out an alarm clock with a see a Sunday Chiefs kingdom and a bunch of fireworks uh, with him a uh, video of himself uh, out there in the field. So I think that suggests he is going to play. Um, Nate Taylor, who we mentioned a second ago, covers the Chiefs, uh, pointed out that Andy Reid said the right high ankle sprain, quote, isn't quite as bad as that one referencing a high ankle sprain he had in 2019. Mahomes played the following week that year, throwing four touchdown passes in a win over the Raiders. So perhaps some insight into how Patrick Mahomes is feeling. You know, it, it's hard to really know. A lot of, you know, the, you'll hear, if you talk to doctors, you talk to anybody that's had this injury, they will tell you, look, yeah, you can go out that day, but it swells up. The next week is harder actually than that day. Um, you know, we see it take months for guys to really feel right. I think you can say with a hundred percent certainty that Mahomes won't be a hundred percent out there on Sunday. But you know how how compromised he will be is is the question that everybody will be wondering all week. Yeah, and I mean, a regular season game um, against the Raiders in twenty nineteen quite a bit different than. AFC championship game and and that that Raiders game when he came back with the high ankle sprain was also after the bye he had an extra week to to get that ankle a little bit better and it's just it's it's gonna hurt and he's gonna play and it's just a matter of how much is it gonna bother him that is his game is running around buying time we know how much Lou likes to I don't know if you want to say attack him because it's not really what he's doing, but to, to drop in coverage and and kind of force him to 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 wait out someone coming open. And it's it's not about can he withstand a hit on that ankle. It's can he withstand every single cut and plant. I mean that thing is going to roll and it's going to hurt. And he's a tough guy. I mean you saw him wanting to stay in right after it happened. Um, but it is. It's going to be the news of the week. Is are they even going to have him practice? Are are they going to take a chance on on him further in, damaging it? I mean, he's he's a guy that probably doesn't need to practice. Can show up on Sunday and and be terrific. Be better than what I think Chad Henney would be. But yeah, we're we're going to be keeping an eye and an ear out to Kansas City all week long. Yeah, and no discounting the Chad Henney factor here. And I'm not here to like you know, exalt Chad Henney, but he did drive them 98 yards uh, for a critical game-changing touchdown with Mahomes out. It's not like if they have to go there, there's going to be extreme panic in Kansas City. It's they, they would still feel good. Now, again, that's a very different animal than talking about Patrick Mahomes, but it's it's not like they don't feel like if there's some time he has to miss during the game or whatever, or even if they turn to him at some point, they don't they're not gonna sit there and necessarily roll over and die at all. Um so anyway, that's kind of the status of Patrick Mahomes and his health and that ankle. We'll continue to monitor that and talk more with Nate 
about that uh, as the week goes on. Um, PFW All-Pro all AFC teams came out with no Bengals on them. I'll have to add that to my story on the year in disrespect, Jay. Uh, as I'm going back through, it's been kind of fun to go back through all of that. Um, and, and every single week and how much there has been as the Bengals have played that disrespect card all year. But I, I the funny thing is, like, I don't know where the where it would be. And I think there's answers that you could probably come to. I mean, there's just... It's it's it speaks to the the collective and the sum of the parts that this team has been. Um, certainly, they won't really care about that stuff. We know, but uh, just interesting that that uh, played out again. So, so I voted in that, and and I did not put a Bengal on. I mean, yeah, the, who would it be on that offense? I mean, Joe Burrow's been terrific, but you get to pick one quarterback, and yeah, and, yeah. I mean, you have you to, have to pick Mahomes. Yeah. So and it was just it was one of those things. Jamar Chase had a great year, but he missed four games. Um, so it is interesting. Someone asked me on Twitter this morning, and I got up early, so I figured I had some time. So I just started going back through, and I was they were asking when was the last or how has there ever been a Super Bowl champion that didn't have an All Pro? Would the Bengals be the first if they were to do it? And I went back through, and uh, the last time it happened, I did, once I got to one team, I wasn't going to go through all of them, but the last time it happened was the 2007 Giants. That's that team that won, got in as a wild card and then beat the uh, undefeated Patriots in the Super Bowl. Uh, no first or second team All-Pros, and no PFWA All-NFC players. So it is rare uh, for that to happen. It's not the first time wow. if, if the Bengals are able to do it, um, but it, it, it would be the first time in, in 15 years. 15 years. That's crazy. Um, yeah, good, good stat there, as always. Uh, so that's kind of that. I mean, it's, but again, it goes to speak of how good they have been as a team and sort of their best players kind of having some unfortunate luck of there being some truly elite players as well at the same. I mean, I have, I have a hard time. I love, you know, you get, you have to love the way DJ reader has played, but you know, when you're talking about, um, defensive tackles like Quinn and Williams, who's had an incredible year and Chris Jones, who is might win, could win defensive player of the year up against Nick Bosa overall. I mean, these guys have been incredible and, and, and that, and, and reader missed a month. People forget that. I mean, reader missed time too. the same issue that you have with reader. They've lost some of their best players in this process. I mean, we'll, we'll hear about Mike Hilton in a minute, but I mean, again, a slot corner winning a cornerback spot. It's, it's, you're talking about hard stuff to argue here. Um, They've just been so good collectively and that's what sets them apart in a lot of ways, but it it is, it is rare. Um, One, so the, the, the chiefs, okay. You're three and three and oh against the chiefs. Right. And so a lot of the conversation about, what is going on? How do you continue to be on that role? And Zach Taylor basically said, we don't have to beat them four times in a row. We have to beat them one time in a row, and that's the focus. I, I do think that's an important thing. It's really what's helped them win now, this continuing, now growing franchise record of 10 straight games. Is It has felt like every week has felt like a new animal, which goes back to the like creating disrespect every week, continuing. And Zach Taylor said, "I, you know, look, Early in the year, I don't need to go out trying to find anything to keep people going, focusing on this week, this moment, living in that moment, that week. When you reach week 20, I will search every inch of the internet, (laughs) including Jay Morrison's Twitter, uh, to find stuff to keep that week feeling unique, to keep that week feeling motivated. 
and that's been sort of a part of uh, who they've been. And, and you don't need much motivation at this time of year, but um, certainly continues to pile it on. I think the ability to focus on one week at a time through a lot of that type of stuff has been a big reason why they've been so consistently good over this stretch. It will be interesting to see because one of the pieces or one of the parts of the season that's going to be a, a part of your your disrespect story was the Justin Reed comments against Hayden Hurst and T. Higgins and mm-hmm. mixing those guys up or whatever whatever he was trying to do there and how that played out in that game. Um, I think he probably learned his lesson. I don't know if he's going to pop off again uh, this week, but um, Eli Apple seems to be on a Twitter heater right now. Um, he's not going after the Chiefs. He's doing it after the fact against – the Bills and specifically Stefan Diggs, but you know what is is he going to dial it back when it becomes game week? Or because he's he got in Travis Kelsey's face, um, and I, I he, it could have been a taunting penalty after that interception um, last year that re, that set up the game winning field goal in overtime. Uh, he was really letting him have it, and um, Eli's he's been keeping it kind of low key for most of the season, but uh, he's he's back on his keyboard right now. And um, I know some fans probably find it entertaining. Some fans are probably cringing a little bit because we've seen how the Bengals have used that kind of stuff. Um, I I think a lot of people are hoping he does not start going after the Chiefs before the game. Yeah, I've had some people ask me if I have any access to take Eli Apple's phone away from him. I I don't. Uh, (laughs) However, uh, you know, it 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 is an interesting change. Like, I think there's been a change as the Bengals have won here now where they're, you know, Mike Hilton on the video, next stop Burrowhead. I don't know if you've seen that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and and everything that Eli Apple's been saying and the Chiefs just kind of quietly waiting in the bushes and the Bengals are a favorite now um, as the line has moved. Uh, you know, I, and again, it's the AFC Championship freaking game. Like, I don't, I don't think any of this really matters at this point. I mean, what do we think? It's going to give you extra energy to go out and play. I every everybody's on one in this game. I mean, they're, they're, I don't I don't really think that matters at this time of year. However, it is a different feel. It is a little different feel to last week as the Bengals were leaning hard into this. What the hell? No one giving us a chance to now all of a sudden. You know, there's a lot of praise and a lot of talking crap and uh, going on about how they're going to go into Kansas City and do it again. Uh, it's just a different feel. Um, for the way this team has been all year. I don't know that it matters. I don't, I don't know how much that really matters, but it just pointing out it's different, the end. Uh, okay, let's talk a little bit about, um, I, I want to dive a little bit more into Luana Rumo and, and this defense because we we come on, this is, this is standard. I mean, you're going to hear every national show and, and everybody that's talking about the Bengals, and so many are. I shouldn't say every, vast majority um, go directly to Burrow, as you expect, right? I mean, praising him and having conversations about will we will we view him as the number one overall quarterback if he can beat Mahomes? Is is he number two? Like we have to get right to quarterback rankings, right? And and, and I think maybe the deserved appreciation that people have had um, for him, you know, I think those that know, those certainly those that listen to this show, have known for a while about how good he's been. Um, but some people just kind of found out, as the Bengals reminded everybody in their statement win um, on Sunday, people that don't pay that close of attention to Cincinnati. Um, but I don't know how you can just imme- go to Burrow immediately and, and, and gloss over 
10 points by the Bills. And the job that Luana Rumo and this defense continue to do in big games. I mean, you're talking about a team that created 28 pressures on Josh Allen. 28! You know, through blitzes, unique blitzes. Um, Von Bell, Mike Hilton coming from depth off the edge. Um, stuff that Josh Allen and and their line just didn't see coming. Deion Dawkins after the game said, we, just, we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know where they were coming from, you know. And you, you, you only can see that so many times until it's like last year, right? They do what they did to Patrick Mahomes in the second half and overtime, right? And everyone talks about how Patrick Mahomes looks broken. Is Patrick Mahomes broken, Jay? Is Patrick Mahomes broken? Then he loses Tyree Kill and he comes back and has an MVP season. Okay? No, Patrick Mahomes wasn't broken. And now everybody, Josh Allen, is he too chaotic? Is he is he too, is he not this? Is he not that? Can Josh Allen not win the game? No. He just had a, fr- a fringe MVP season. There's a common thread here, Jay. Luina Rumo, man, he just has a way of making these pieces befuddle and we've talked about it over and over again but it's just the way he can pull so many different levers and do it at the perfect timing is just a nightmare for these opposing quarterbacks I mean the the book on Josh Allen is a little bit like Joe Burrow where you don't blitz him that that you play into his hands where letting him run away from the blitz and get out of pocket is is where he's really good and Lou said screw that I mean he dialed it up for a while there early yes he was he was just coming with the four, and they were getting pressure, but then he started unleashing Von Bell and, and Mike Hilton, and it is. It's it's incredible what what he's been able to do. Um, I, I've got – I know this is this is a ridiculously small sample size, but I did look this up because 13.5 points per game that they're giving up in the playoffs in, in two games, right. It's only been two games. But since that incredible run by Marvin Lewis's Baltimore Ravens in 2000 – where they gave up 5.8 points per game in the playoffs. <laughs> Just ridiculous. So from 2001 to the present, um, teams that have played multiple playoff games, the Bengals are tied for third at 13.5 points allowed per game. The Buccaneers gave up 12.3 in three games in 2002. Seahawks gave up 13.3 in three games in 2013. Then the the O2 Falcons and the 15 Chiefs also gave up 13.5 in two games. So I don't know that they're going to be able to hold Patrick Mahomes to to 13.5 points per ge- or in this game. But it, it it is amazing. I mean, look what he's done to Patrick Mahomes in the second half of of these games when they've played. And you know, maybe if they do dial it up earlier, maybe if they do get off to this crazy start offensively like they did against Buffalo, they can really take the Chiefs out. The Chiefs aren't as explosive as they have been in the past. They are still good. And as you said, Mahomes having an incredible MVP type season or MVP season period. Um, but they're, they're doing it more with 12 and 13 personnel and and working their way down the field and just eating people alive that way. And it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, Lou always comes up with something. And I, it, obviously, Mahomes was not broken, but he made him look broken. And he... he he had. I don't know if you want to say Josh Allen was seeing ghosts, but 
they're they just look so disjointed last week. It it we talked about this in the press box. Their whole game plan it seemed like was just let Josh Allen go out there and play hero ball. There was they they couldn't get anything going at all in the run game, and they a lot of it was just kind of throwing it up there and, and hoping one of the receivers could make a play. And uh, just just a terrific job again by Lou. I mean, it's I don't know how many times we have to see it before people's someone picks up a phone and says, "Hey, you want to come in for an interview?" Yeah. Um, so it's a great point, and I think there's a couple of points to be made about that. But first, um, yesterday we chatted with Lou Anarumo uh, a little bit after the press conference with Zach Taylor, and. Lou was asked specifically about the fact that he has not gotten a, any interviews in this cycle. Um, and Zach Taylor also uh, was asked about Lou Anarumo and being a head coach. Uh, here are both of them on that topic. We've seen several national commentators in the last week or two say, man, why aren't teams interviewing Lou Anarumo for head coaching position? Are you aware that that's out there? And, and do you have any comment on that job cycle so far? I mean, you know, I'm just going to go coach talk here and just, no, we're, it's, that stuff's all great, but we, it would be, I'd be doing our organization and our team a, a disservice if I was worried about that. You know, we're worried about beating the Chiefs, and um, that's the most important thing right now. All that other stuff always takes care of itself. Yeah, he'd be a great head coach. He's um, extremely smart. Um, he's got the players' best interests in mind. He wants to put them in their best positions to succeed. It's not about this is the scheme and we're just going to do it, whether it fits the guys or not. Um, he's constantly evolving it to make sure that we're putting our guys in position to do the things that, that hit their strengths. He does a great job adjusting over the course of the week, over the course of the game. It's not fun probably being a defense coordinator in the AFC you got to face just a new, <laughs> uh, you know, every week's a challenge. And he never blinks. I think the players feel that from him. I know I feel that from him. He's always going to be prepared and, and give our guys a chance to go play well. So, you know, Lou taking the the high road. Um, but you could, you could see his wheels spinning a little bit on, yeah, I'd like to talk about this. Frustrated by the process, but but pointing out rightfully and you know like he said and that's the absolute truth it would be a disservice to this team to be worried about things like that right now because he's on they're on the brink of potentially winning a championship you know career to be the defensive coordinator i mean think about to be the defensive coordinator for a team that wins a super bowl and 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 i mean that's where it is that's that's where career achievements live and it, <laughs> a lot of money to be made by being a head coach don't get me wrong like i'm not taking that away but i i think you know you can sense too that it's like you know what I, i'll go win a lombardi and feel pretty damn good about that too and y- y'all can keep sleeping on me i thought he did a great job that's a hard question to answer because yep. you you don't you don't want to say no it doesn't bother me I I just want to win a, a Super Bowl here I mean because then owners are saying well this guy's not hungry enough for it does he want to be a head coach it's but then if you start railing on it too much that it's unfair then then people think you're you're focused on your future instead of the current team the current season it it is I mean it's a question that has to be asked obviously but mm-hmm. it is a hard one for 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 a guy like Lou to answer and and I, I thought he he did 
he did a good job of, of kind of playing it right down the middle and saying his responsibility is this team right now. But you can tell. Yeah, he's – I mean, it, it would have to be the first time in history that a team – now, they're not there yet, obviously. But if they do get to the Super Bowl, that a team – would get to back-to-back Super Bowls, and neither coordinator would be plucked for a head coaching job. And we don't know. Brian interviewed for the Colts. We don't yeah. know how that's going to play out, but that's the only interview he's had so far, too. It's just it is remarkable how they've been able to keep this staff together um, without people coming in and poaching them. Imagine a team potentially being in the Super Bowl two straight years and drawing a total of three interviews <laughs> for their staff. Three, yeah, and no promotions otherwise. I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe an offensive coordinator job goes to our guest later in the show or whatever. I don't know. Think about that, and and to me, Jay, it, it says something that I, the league views what's happened here as Joe Burrow, and that is very, very fair, right? I think. In the same respect, this is a different thing, and maybe we have Brody Miller to talk about this in the offseason at some point on from our LSU writer, who people on the show are very familiar with. But, you know, the look how he wrote the story. I remember us talking about it at the Combine one year. How much money did Joe Burrow just make everyone at LSU? Everyone got raises. Joe, Joe Brady got a promotion. Like everybody that was Justin Jefferson and Chase ended up a first round pick. And like all of these guys, everybody, I, I have to remember what the number was in the story that he came up with. It was like 80 or 90 million in total money made <laughs> from that season, which is really, and you look at what happened to Joe Brady afterwards, what happened to Ed Orgeron afterwards, what happened, those were very unique, separate stories, so I'm not trying to connect them, but I think there's some of that, of viewing as like, Burrow has made has created this, and that's where discredit for Zach Taylor has consistently come from, and I think that's where the lack of respect for these coordinators in deserving jobs comes from. The Lou thing, though, stands out. It has nothing to do with friggin' Burrow. Right. Like, <laughs> granted, you put yourself in a position to go win games, but anybody with two eyes can see what he's been able to do in creating a defensive culture and being a, a, a true mastermind. I mean, how many times does he have to be called the mad scientist by everyone? Uh, although he pointed out his kids find that very funny. Uh, he doesn't really <laughs> care for Yeah, he's fine with it. But, uh, but you know, how many times does that have to happen until there's a little bit more respect put onto the name? It's it's hard to know. Uh, since week 14 through the playoffs of five Bengals games, if you put that against the rest of the league, uh, Bengals are second in the league in points per drive, 1.44, and second in the league in turnover percentage at 22.2. There is a 6% better chance at the start of every drive it's going to end in a turnover for the offense than a touchdown. It's insane. <laughs> and that's over the last month and a half Yeah, uh, and for this defense. It, 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 Lou is kind of like Burrow in the fact that that he gets better when the moment gets bigger. And I've got some stats. I'll I'll do them like you did last week, side by side. So these are Lou's numbers or Lou's defense's numbers in the regular season versus what they've done in the playoffs. In 33 regular season games, they're allowing 21.2 points per game. In six playoff games, 18.2. Yards, regular season, 343. 
postseason 352. That's a little higher, but as Lou has told us over and over again, it's all about points, not yards. He's not concerned about that, and it's nine yards over a six-game span. That's not a big deal. Turnovers, regular season, 1.4 per game. Postseason, 2.0 per game. Points per drive in the regular season, points per drive allowed, 2.34. Postseason, 2.19. Sacks, 2.18. Regular season, 2.17. Playoffs, pressures, 8.8 regular season, 9.3 playoffs. Every number except total yards is better or the same in the postseason as it is in the regular season when it's supposed to get harder, when you're playing these elite teams, when you're playing these great quarterbacks. Um, it's just, I don't know how many, again, I don't know how many times we have to see it before other people start opening their eyes to it. No question. Um, one other name I want to bring up here uh, before we move on uh, and get to Mo is Mike Hilton, who who doesn't get yeah. enough respect. I mean, the, he his ability to cover, um, his ability to disguise coming off the edge, his ability to affect the run game. And we talk about I mean, him going in and taking on Derrick Henry. I mean, all of these things um, are just ridiculous and under-discussed. And I want to make sure his name gets put out. Lou, Lou and Zach basically both kind of just laughed uh, when it was mentioned how good of a game he happened to have uh, on Sunday. And I want to make sure that we bring those to you. So here's, um, here's Zach Taylor and Lou Anarumo um, talking about Mike Hilton from Sunday. I felt like Mike Hilton yesterday was pretty noticeable, especially on I think yeah. the first Bills drive of the fourth quarter. And what stood out to you when you watched the – He's the just uh, – he's he's the best nickel in all football, you know. And he's savvy. He's instinctive. He's physical. Um, he's got great coverage ability. He can make plays on the ball and come up with the ball when he gets his opportunities. Um, he's a fearless rusher. You know, a lot of guys are tentative. Um, when their number's called, he does just a great job complimenting all of his, his looks. And so then when he when he gets a chance to pull the trigger and come, he makes the most of it, you know. And, and uh, just knowing, having played against all sorts of corners and safeties and nickels, the pressure, a lot of them, as soon as they get blocked, it's kind of over. He's, he's the opposite. You know, he's going to keep fighting through it and find ways to put pressure on the quarterback so they can feel his presence and uh, just really instinctive player that way. Mike's Mike, you know. He's, he's, we're laughing at each other as a uh, – he comes off on the sideline. He, you know, Diggs kind of got behind him on that one, and I was like, he, you know, said something, and he's just, man, you're funny. You know, we just had a moment there, uh, but he, uh, he just, um, he has a, a real knack of disguising his blitzes. Uh, you know, everybody in the stadium knows he's going to blitz, um, and he just finds a way to get there. And um, he's he's a great tackler. He's a great competitor. And, Happy he's ours for sure. He's a just a good old football player, so he understands you know when to maybe show when he's coming and when to maybe play a little bit off when he's not when he is uh, blitzing or disguise uh, one thing and show another. All based on what we're doing. It's not like just something he's out there playing around with. He knows within the scheme on this. Hey Mike, I'll tell him hey blitz from the head of the slot or you know, and then he'll just kind of play off of that so he just has a feel for the whole defense and how we want him how we want to use him all right so uh there's zach taylor and lou anarumo uh talking about mike hilton 
from Sunday. And uh, just wanted to make sure we touch on that. That, that needed to be heard because I mean, he, what a what a ridiculous game. We don't often talk about slot corners as game changers, um, but for the way this team plays and how things have gone, he he really he really has been. And I just I love Lou saying he was asked about how good Mike played. He's like Mike's just Mike. I mean, that's he didn't see it. I mean, yes, he had a good game, but he's like, that's that's who he's been since he's been here. He's he is that fearless guy that will attack anyone. He's just he is so good at disguising his blitzes and, and timing them up perfectly. And um, it was it was that I, that was probably the best game I've seen Mike Hilton play since he's been here, and he's had a lot of good ones. All right, moving on here, that podcast crowd. I'm excited to bring our next guest in. You know, Jay, we said. I want to discuss how well Joe Burrow is playing, but people have to be sick and tired of us talking about that. Uh, you know, so let's let's go a little bit further inside to talk specifically about what we're seeing from number nine, and that brings in uh, Bengals quarterbacks coach Dan Pitcher joining us. Pitch, what's up? How much, guys? Happy to be with you. Yeah, good to have you here, man. I want to start. I want to start with this. Uh, I just want to. I want to go open ended for you. You know, I don't want to get too specific. There's a million specific examples we can dive into, and will. What has impressed you the most about how Joe has played specifically through these two playoff games? Well, you know, he's he's playing at a really high level, and it's not surprising to any of us who've been around him now for three years and. You know, so when he does the things that he does, it, it, it you never want to take it for granted. Uh, but it it doesn't it it doesn't jump out at you as anything other than what we expect. Um, you know, I look at the game the other day and just multiple examples of you know on a on a on a slippery field in adverse conditions, just showing outstanding pocket presence and having an absolute feel for. This is when the ball needs to come out. This is when they vacated a rush lane and now I can climb the pocket and I can extend a little bit, but I can do so without putting the ball at harm or I can do so without, you know, having somebody uh, chasing me down from behind. Like it's just the sense, the awareness that he has um, and then his ability to just deliver the ball accurately like nobody else. Uh, it's really, it's helping us. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> you know, the, He's now three and zero on the road in the playoffs, and it's it it sounds like a small number, but do, do you by chance have any idea how many NFL quarterbacks have more career road playoff wins than Joe's three? Uh, I have no idea. By the by, the way you phrased the question, my <laughs> my uh, hypothesis is that it's not very many. <laughs> Uh, there, there, there's only eight, yeah. uh, and if if you guys are fortunate enough to win Sunday in Kansas City, there he will only have five ahead of him, and that would be Flacco, Brady, Eli, Ben, and Aaron Rodgers. And it's amazing because you would think Brady was a no-brainer. He has seven. Uh, he didn't get his fourth road playoff win until he was forty years <laughs> old, in in his nineteenth season. Joe's trying to do it in his third season. Um, the only other quarterback in NFL history to win his first four road playoff games was Jake DeHolm. So, I mean, it's it's pretty heady stuff that, that Joe's doing already this young in his career. I just – is it is it something about his makeup that – I mean, I know the physical tools are the most important thing to going on the road and winning, but is there something about who he is as a person, as a, as a player, as a leader that, that makes him built 
to to go into these tough environments and win on the road? Absolutely. I mean, that's why that's why we picked them first overall. Um, you know, outside of all the things that you can measure and you can see with your with your eyes, it's what you feel from them. Um, and I've kind of been posed this question in various forms, you know, throughout my time with them. And really, it's two things. I do think that he relishes the big stage and he wants to show everybody um, that he's the best and and we believe he's the best. And so, you know, he he takes those opportunities and 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 he, he wants all of them that, that he can get. But I also think it's his ability to just block out everything external. So there's the desire to be in that spot. But then once he's in that spot, he just doesn't allow uh, anything to affect him negatively. He just plays each play and the confidence builds around him as we see, as we have success and the more environments that we go into and he just continues to play at such a high level, there's, it puts everybody else at ease. You know, there's, there's that, um, effect that he has on his teammates and his coaches and, and it just makes everybody else play better. And so, you know, we, we love that about him. There, there's one thing that I think has stood out specifically this past game, but I mean, it's really, it's, it's over the course of his entire career, obviously anticipation, accuracy are so rare, but I mean, his quickness through the progression, whether, you know, the third and 10 to Irwin, uh, up, up the seam there, or that ball to Hurst, uh, over the middle, um, to just so quickly rip through the progression and throw with such perfect accuracy. My question is, have you seen that evolve or, or improve over time or has what we're seeing kind of always been that tight or, or is, is that an area where he's maybe taken a step? Um, I think he's definitely improved there. You know, uh, I think he's always been capable of that. I think he came into the league showing a lot of evidence of that. Um, you know, but I think as with anything, you're going to get better with time and with the effort that he puts in and the repetitions that he's accumulated. Um, and then I think there's a there's a maturation there that that you you kind of realize that you know you can move the ball down the field by by recognizing a, a weakness in an underneath zone and getting it out of your hand very quickly, as effectively sometimes as having to hang on to the ball, you know. Uh, spin out of a sack and and get on the perimeter and hope that the coverage broke down also effective right we <laughs> see that all the time in the nfl and joe's capable of that uh but you know he he can play in in multiple ways and and what you just referenced i think you know he's he's gotten better there and and it's why we're having the success we're having i wanted to to shift a little bit to one of his top targets but i want to paul did you have any specific burrow questions no, you wanted to get no, to go before ahead, go ahead kind of go so so last week we were talking to jamar and, and he was saying that he thought uh the ravens game was zach's best performance yet in terms of moving him around and putting him in the best position and i know you and brian have a lot to do with that as well and creating the game plan but but then what we saw sunday in buffalo with Jamar in and out of the backfield so much and, and running those orbit motions. And um, just curious, first of all, I, I know you guys have done that this year, but I don't think you've done it to that that extent. Do you, do you, do you have any idea how many times you guys have, 
have run him through the backfield uh, before that game Sunday? Um, off the top of my head, no. You know, my guess would be he's probably been back there, I don't know, maybe maybe 20 times on the year or something like that. And then and I, I would add, you know, we – we do such a good job as an offensive staff and and it's a collaborative effort by everybody you just referenced. But Frank is a huge part of that too. I mean, Frank, Frank really does a great job of, um, you know, breaking down exactly how they're going to adjust to those kind of motions and those formations and how it helps us in the run game. So, you know, don't, don't leave him out when you're, when you're talking about the the scheme there. I mean, he's a, he's a huge part of that too. And, and I had it as as nine plays um, in, in that game Sunday. Four were passes, yeah. five were runs. Probably uh, it was probably a little more than twenty on the year. Now that I think about it, but but yeah. I think it's probably the, I don't know that we've ever put him back there as often as we did on Sunday. Was that the plan going in, or because you guys it was four times in the first eleven plays, and you guys were having great success every time you did it? Did it did it just kind of build on itself, or was there something you guys saw you could attack the Bills with that way? And what what is the advantage? Uh, the biggest advantage you gain from doing that with Jamal? Yeah, you know, I just think it. Obviously, wherever he is aligned, he's going to draw attention, and so when you align him in un- unusual spots, that can take away from uh, the reaction time of a linebacker who is also having to fit the run, but is responsible for him if he motions out of the backfield quickly and we throw him a pass. And so he threatens both his underneath zone in the pass game and he stretches him further away from his responsibility as a, as a run fit player in the run game. And so you can do that with any player, but when you do that with a guy like Jamar, the bells and whistles are going off pre-snap of, okay, what is this guy doing and where is he going? Um, And so, you know, I just think it, sometimes you go into games you know, with a package like that, and maybe it gets called a couple times, and sometimes it has success early, and it gets called more often. I think Zach just does a really good job of in-game seeing how the defense is adjusting and, um, you know, using what's working in the moment. Uh, I, I mentioned nine plays. Uh, any idea how many yards you guys average per play on those nine plays when Ooh. he was in the backfield? Um, no, I just know it was effective. Uh, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't guess at a number. Uh, it was 11.9. <laughs> Burrow was 4 of 4 for 66 yards and a touchdown. And uh, you guys ran the ball for – Mixon's long run of 16 was in one of those where, like you said, Edmonds got stretched out and Mixon just hit it right up the middle. I mean, it was it was unreal, the the, the production you guys yeah, got. Yeah, out. no, it, it was a good good little package. Adenogy pulling into the nickel corner is how you draw it up, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's hard when – if defenses are going to keep two safeties high, that nickel has a lot of responsibility. Um, and, you know, in that Buffalo particularly, they don't really play base defense. And so it doesn't really matter who you put on the field, that nickel's out there. And he, they ask him to do a lot. And, um, you know, we were able to get in, into some advantageous spots uh, on Sunday, you know, with with that. I mean, yeah, the the efficiency, the return of the really efficient run game, you know, a little bit in, in the Baltimore game, too, but obvi- it was obvious yesterday. It's the ultimate. I call it the hands up moment where the coordinator just says, man, when that's happening, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do here. Because th- do you guys sense that as a staff when the hands up moments are happening as the efficient run game or, you know, the plays to Hurst where it's like, oh, now Hurst is out here making plays. Uh, do you guys sense those moments as where you're really the game plan is taking over? 
Yeah, you know, I think anytime you're distributing the ball to all sorts of different guys and and we have a, a ton of weapons um, and just everybody gets that sense that they're a part of this and we're moving the ball down the field and it doesn't matter who's touching it. Uh, we're picking up first down after first down after first down. There's just a confidence and a momentum that builds and you do, you feel, you feel a sense of deflation and frustration from the defense, um, you know, cause they, they go into the game with, with, a, with a plan. And, and, you know, similarly, you know, that we've had moments on offense where we go in with a plan and it doesn't work. And so you, you feel frustrated and then it's, then it's incumbent on you to figure out what you got to do to flip that. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a game played by humans with emotions. And uh, there's definitely moments in the game when you can sense that from your opponent uh, when you're playing as well as we, we were on Sunday. Before I get you out of here, I, I wanted to ask you real quick about um, as someone who lives in the game plan world and, and QB game plans and adjustments, how much can you appreciate what Luana Rumo has done to opposing quarterbacks, specifically in the postseason? And, and in your opinion, what has made him so special as a, uh, as a, as a game plan play caller? Well, you know, it's funny. We, it, it's a nightmare playing against our defense and we have to do it from, from April until the end of August, mm -hmm. you know? So we feel that. And then as soon as the season starts, it's like you take a deep breath and you're like, well, we don't have to deal with that again <laughs> for a long time. Thank God. Um, they just, they've done such a good job over there, you know, led by Lou and, you know, from, from the chair that I sit in and the guys that I coach, the harder you can make it on the quarterback, the better. Now that's not free, right? That requires a lot of, time invested and really smart defenders, which we have, you know, because the opposite school of thought, right, is you you do less better and you just get really good at your stuff and all the adjustments off of it. And that works, too. I mean, there's multiple ways to get it done in this game. But just from a quarterback standpoint, the more you can try to confuse me and make make uh different things look similar pre-snap and and make your pressures look like your coverages and your coverages look like your pressures that that's what makes it hard on the quarterback and I think that they've done such a good job of that um you know from the from the staff down to the players buying in and um I I, I think the world of Lou you know I think he he's great at what he does and I'm just really glad that you know we don't have the Bengals defense on our schedule <laughs> I mean, can we get this guy a head coach interview? I mean, I, I, it's, it's, it's startling. I, and I really I, – I say this across the staff. You know, something that Jay and I have talked about is I, I, I don't know that there's ever been a time where you will see, you know, a team be in the AFC Championship two years in a row and all this and, – and the amount of – the lack of attention for the staff is startling. I mean, especially a guy like Lou who has, who has done what he's done. I know that it's – what's your view on all, on all of that you know that's hard to say yeah i just know i know the caliber of people and coaches that are in this building and uh you know guys that are deserving of those opportunities and you know there's only so so much you can control yeah and you know so you just i think the attitude of really everybody in these walls is just just keep winning football games you know and and let the rest take care of itself and and you know, I, I think you're right in that there's there's a lot of guys in this building that are that are capable of advancement and and being head coaches and uh, you know hopefully those opportunities come in, in in due time. I'd like to point out that um, you should be one of those as well. 
Uh, and uh, and I, I I certainly uh, know that there will be opportunities in your future. How how has this staff and the setup that you've been in here helped prepare you for what a potential next step could be for you, offensive coordinator, otherwise whatever it would be? Yeah, I mean that's certainly a goal of mine, and 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 hopefully that opportunity presents itself at some point, you know, in the future. Um, I will take a lot of what I've learned here, uh, you know, working under Zach and, and Brian, um, you know, how he organizes the week, the autonomy that he gives his staff members, um, the importance that he puts on the work that he gives them, how he listens to them, uh, how he delegates and the dialogue that we have amongst each other on Sunday and, and every and every day leading up to Sunday, um, you know, and there's just there's the thing that's like probably striking and, and unless you're in the building and, and kind of get a sense for what the NFL is like and the kind of people that you deal with, there's just no ego. Mm -hmm. There's just no um, sense of self-importance. It's, it's not it doesn't exist. And that allows you to just communicate so freely and be yourself and really be invested in what we're doing. Uh, and I think, you know, you're seeing that you're seeing the product of that on the field and it, and it took a while to get there. Um, and, and credit to, you know, the, the Brown and, and, and Blackburn family for, for giving us, giving us this opportunity. Um, and it's paying off and, and, you know, we deserve to reap the benefits of this and we got two games left and, uh, it's certainly our intention to, to go get two more pitch. And make more and make more people. Notice. people notice. <laughs> yeah. no uh, it's hard to miss now. Hard, hard to yeah. miss. <laughs> when it's hard to miss when uh, when you do what you guys did up in Buffalo and uh, return to the AFC Championship game for the second straight year. Go play Patrick Mahomes. You can't ask for a bigger, better stage than this. It's uh, I know it's been fun. It's been fun for Bengals fans certainly to be on the ride for two years in a row. And uh, congratulations on everything you guys have done so far, Pitch, and all your hard work. And thanks for uh, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks, guys. See you soon. All right, much thanks to Dan Pitcher for joining us here on the podcast. Great to have him uh, back on. Uh, we're going to have some takeaways and talk a little bit more about the Bengals' offense here, but let's uh, take a quick break right now for some ads. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Jay. Good to have Dan back on the pod. Uh, take away from what we heard from him. Yeah, I mean, so much good stuff there. It's always great talking to Dan, um, whether it's in a kind of a formal interview section setting like this or just chatting it up with him in the in the locker room when you see him um so much knowledge so much insight and i i think my biggest takeaway was my oversight and saying that he and brian and zach have a big part for it. and he and he corrected me he said frank has a very big part of that it was a it was a big oversight on my part because the the whole the run game the protection all that especially coming off of this game where that the o-line was such a big story in that and um it just 
it just kind of plays into what he was saying, how there's no egos. He could have easily said, yeah, I'm one of three that can And he will, he's like, no, I want to include somebody else in this. There was another guy that had a big part um, in what we were able to do. And um, I, I, it is, it's it, it, it sometimes talking about culture and no egos and it almost kind of, I know some people just kind of think that's coach speak and it's, it's really not in this situation. This staff is so invested in, in building the, the right culture and, and they have. And um, I just, I thought that was uh that was pretty cool of him to, to include Frank there uh, after I omitted him. Yeah. I, I, I would agree, you know, that, I don't know if I, – I think he made a good point in that I don't know if people realize or aren't around NFL world or NFL culture or if you haven't been to owners' <laughs> meetings or, or you know, things like where you, you meet some of the people that are in position. This is nothing against anybody else. There's a lot of ego in the NFL, and understandably yeah. so. Like, this is the top of the profession, man, and there's – it's like any business. I mean, you – you get to the top of the food chain and some of these corporations and t- and, and there's a lot of friggin' ego there. And there's, there's <laughs> a lot of, uh, you know, I'm in the driver's seat now, right? Well, mm-hmm. you know, the, the idea of, of that not being a part of the equation here, I do think does go a long way just to illustrating why you have a staff that has been so capable of adjusting on the fly, of changing their stripes a little bit of who they are as the season has gone along and found a lot of really smart answers along the way because one person trying to have all the answers can't create, you know, the kind of cohesion and and, malleable offense like they've sort of had as the year um, has gone along. And I I thought, you know, just in regards to Burrow, there's a lot that, I think it's so true, though. You, you over you overlook the just sheer precision of understanding how to make every correct decision in the moment. Climb the pocket when not to, when to hold it, when to check it down, when and 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 to do it all so quickly with such accuracy. And you almost take it for granted. You know, it's this just it's just mm-hmm. what they expect. You expect the offense to look like that, and that's absurd. Like it's absurd that an offense <laughs> should should have that high level of a percentage of of decision making but you know it's just it's it's just been part of who he is and who he's become um Jay, he has in six playoff games Joe Burrow has two turnover worthy plays none this year um it's remarkable you know it's not and i think that's where a lot of the disconnect with people just kind of, where we're literally hearing people just now realizing that oh, is is Burrow? Is he really the guy? It's like because like that not losing the game is just as important as being able to go out plays and make plays and win it. And he just so consistently doesn't lose the game and continues to play the highest percentages to get a win in every situation. And that's before you even start talking about all the off the field stuff that obviously has been so dynamic and game changing. I think that's the area, you know, where you as a coach, as somebody like Dan Pitcher, you can take for granted even a little bit. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's remarkable when you see it play out so consistently on, on these big stages that he obviously, as he said, relishes. Consistent is right because you, you say that two turnover worthy plays and six playoff games and that's an amazing number and I'm sitting here going wait a minute where were they I don't remember any of them two from because, Kansas City last year in the AFC Championship yeah because 
I was going to say the one interception he threw was the one that went off of Samaje's hands, and the the Tennessee defender scooped it just off the top of the turf. That was the the only actual turnover he had. So that is, it is. It's amazing what he's been able to do, and um, just you know, performance wise, stat wise within the games, and then. You know, I started to get into it with Dan, but he's a busy man. He's got a he's got a game to get ready for. I didn't want to bog him down with these stats, but if you guys are interested, the the, the eight quarterbacks that have more postseason road wins than Joe Burrow are Joe Flacco and Tom Brady with seven, Eli Manning with five, Big Ben with five, Aaron Rodgers with five, and then Roger Staubach, Mark Sanchez, and Jake Delhomme with four. And and what. What makes this even more remarkable is Brady, as I mentioned to Dan, didn't get his fourth road win in the playoffs to his 19th season in the league. Joseph has a chance to do it in his third. Uh, Eli didn't get his fourth until his eighth season. Ben didn't get his fourth until his 12th season, which, oh, by the way, was the meltdown at Paul Brown. Um, Aaron <laughs> Rodgers didn't get his fourth until his 11th season. Staubach didn't get his fourth until his 15th. And Delhomme didn't get his fourth until his seventh season in the league. Here Joe is in season three, um, really two and a half. And he's on the cusp of, of moving into a, a tier of quarterbacks that includes five in the history of the Super Bowl era. I mean, it's just it's, it's amazing what he's been able to do. I will point out with someone like Brady, a lot of playoff games been played in Foxborough, so it's, it's exactly. it, you know they they they've put themselves in position to have a lot of home games. But yeah, you're right; it shows how difficult it is to go on the road in the playoffs and win, and how much it just doesn't seem to matter to Joe. You know, last week you talked about the cold weather stats uh, and the real Joe Burr that showed mm-hmm. up. Again, he adds a he puts another feather in his cap. Uh, still undefeated in games where it's thirty five degrees or less, and that will get tested again on Sunday. As it looks like it's going to be yes. quite cold in Kansas City for that game. Um, but again, the Bengals don't mind that; hasn't phased them one bit. Um, I want to point out one other stat that we talked about uh, in the preview show last week, um, and that will be relevant again to keep to paying attention to which is how much teams play zone versus man against the Bengals. The teams in the division know you got to be willing to just hang with it. you just got to keep playing this zone. you got to keep trying. It's so easy when he's picking you apart, going nine for nine and two touchdowns. <laughs> you just like, I can't just sit back, right? And, and, and it ends up being the end of you. Uh, it was the 75% was the line of delineation between win and loss and, and struggle and not. Uh, and 62% the Bills ended up in in zone coverage, so well below the line of demarcation. They couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. They couldn't They couldn't hang in there. And, uh, you know, Burrow and the Bengals ended up tearing it up, although a lot of the damage done in early and often against zone coverages that they were trying to disguise, and he just saw it and read it and ripped it up. Uh, so, again, this offense, between that and the efficient run game, like we mentioned with Dan, I mean, the throw-up-your-hand stuff. When this team, I've always said, when Mixon gets it going, that's when the defensive coordinator just, they have no answers. They're, if, 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 if they're multi-dimensional on top of the weaponry that Burrow has every time he drops back, if you can't stop the run, too, you have no shot. You have no shot. And the Bills had, unbelievably, no shot. 
That brings us to our next guest. Very excited to do this as we do every week. Bring in uh, our good friend Mo Egger from ESPN 1530. What's up, Mo? How we doing, guys? Great. Doing great. How are you? Uh, wonderful. Wonderful. I bet. Yes. Um, there's a, a few things to talk about. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, decent, decent content for the shows this week. It's been great. It's been great. We we have not been able to give the Reds caravan ample coverage so far. But yeah, that's hard. Yeah, that's been rough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a shame. Um, let's let's start first. Of all, congratulations. Uh, your name was brought up a lot at the end of this game. Yeah. Thanks to your tweet about Cam Taylor Britt being plus eight forty to get an interception in this game. <laughs> yeah. You were promoting, and uh, sure enough, with one thirteen left. Uh, in the fourth quarter, <laughs> there. In case you just didn't need a nice little cherry on top. Oh man, of, uh, of your win Sunday. Oh yeah, no, that was that was nice. I was looking at some of the player props on on Sunday morning, and there was only one Bengals interception prop, and it was Cam Taylor Britt. You couldn't, at least on on the app that I was using, you you couldn't use, you couldn't find any other player to record a pick, and so my thing was, Josh Allen at some point is going to throw one. Okay, this is the only player that I could bet on, so let's take him. Cam Taylor Britt plus eight forty. You kind of had a sense maybe they're going to pick on the rookie a little bit, or or maybe there's like a, the game ceiling cheap interception at the end of the game, and the ball happens to find its way into Cam Taylor Britt's hands, which is exactly what happened. And many of us rejoiced on Sunday night for reasons beyond the game's outcome. <laughs> no interceptions all um, year, so I, just I, go ahead and bet it. I mean, it's, it's got to happen sooner or later. <laughs> That's why I was at That's plus eight forty. <laughs> That's right. Um, I want to. I want to ask you this. Um, I think there's a lot of people to give credit to in this one. I mean, you could probably pick almost anybody who is associated with the club or on the team plane, mm-hmm. um, and give some form of credit on what I we were talking earlier. I think is the most impressive Bengals win, all things considered, circumstances, stakes, place team that, that I've ever covered. I can't speak to ones where I wasn't, you know, that closely knowledgeable of what was going on. It's the greatest performance in franchise history. It, I, it, it, it might it be. might not be the biggest win. Maybe that's still to come. It's the greatest performance. We talked about this, my buddies and I, on Sunday night. It's the greatest performance in franchise history. Stakes, venue, opponent, circumstances, a 17-point road victory with a bunch of backups on the offensive line. You dominated the line of scrimmage. Your running game reappears. Thousands of heroes on both sides of the ball. It's the greatest. It's the greatest performance in the history of the Cincinnati Bengals. They've maybe had more lopsided victories. It's their what third most lopsided postseason victory. Maybe they've had finer top to bottom performances in the regular season. It's the greatest performance in the history of the franchise, as far as I'm concerned. I'd love to go back, and you know, there's no. It's, it'd be insanely hard to actually do this, but we've talked about how there was this clear tier of five, right, all year, mm-hmm. no matter what you looked at. I mean, whether eyeball tests, metrics, you name it. I mean, these clearly these five, and the Bills and the Bengals being amongst those. How many years the clear top tier has had a matchup where it was just completely owned by one over the other and on the road, and then you just throw in, oh yeah, how about in the snow in <laughs> Buffalo? Uh, I mean, you just you, you and then Demar Hamlin's in the building, and when you hear about, they show him at the two minute warning in a big spot, and he went to the locker room supposedly at halftime, and it's all you hear all of this stuff. It's like, oh man, you can just you can hear the story now. And then to, when, when I saw Demar up there, it turned everything around. And none of that mattered. None of that mattered. If you 
if you didn't know anything about how the season unfolded, if you knew nothing about the backstory of the two teams, and you would have watched that game, and afterward I would have said to you, those two teams all season long were perceived as equals, you would have said, huh? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the, the thing that I, I put on Twitter, easiest postseason victory in 32 years, I've been longing for a game like that in the regular season. Or in the fourth <laughs> quarter, I could just put my feet up, watch them salt the game away, kill some clock, and talk about next week. I mean, the the ease with which they did it and and how, how unremarkable it felt, right? And that's a credit to them. Like, was I surprised they beat the Buffalo Bills by 17 points? I guess. But as the game unfolded, the outcome made more and more sense. They were the better team. They were the better coach team. They were the more prepared team. They were the deeper team. It was said on the TV broadcast. I think it was during a Buffalo scoring drive, one of the two that they had, where Tony Romo said, everything looks hard for the Bills. Mm -hmm. e even when they get a first down, even when they're starting to move the football, it looks clunky. It looks difficult. Ah. Uh, uh, for them to, to to do that on the defensive end and then to have the offensive line performance they had to run the ball for a buck 70 to play turnover free football to have no special teams issues and to have the two responses you know it's 14 7 and you're thinking here we go ball game right this thing's about to take off and then what was it a 14 play drive um and then they kicked the field goal eat up half of the third quarter okay uh well, you don't want to be in a game in the fourth quarter tied with the weather, with where they are. What was it, a 12-play drive for an answer? The two answers, but I'll tell you the sequence that I love the most. End of the first half, ball at the nine-yard line. Buffalo's got three timeouts. It's a lot of coaches, perhaps understandably so, who go, screw it. Uh, run, 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 punt. We'll kick it away, and we'll just play defense. Hopefully they don't score. I love that the Bengals said, F it. We're going to try to keep the football away from you. They didn't score points. You look at the play-by-play, the -play, you're going to see no points scored. They tried the Hail Mary. They rightfully didn't bring out Evan for a 62-yard field goal or whatever it would have been. I love that. I love that. Screw it. We are keeping the ball away from you. We know we have to kick it off to you to start the second half. We're stealing a possession here and doing it with aggressiveness. Was it a little more risky than taking three runs and punting? Sure. But the play calls were safe. They put the game in that moment early in the game still, right before halftime, put it in the hands of their best player. And it kept the Bills from getting a possession. And, and maybe Buffalo would have taken a knee. Maybe they kick it away. Chrisman has a great punt. Buffalo doesn't score. Maybe they kick a field goal and they go, God, you know what? Bills have three points going into the locker room. Now they get it to start the second half. The game is starting to turn a little bit. I loved that because it was the exact opposite of so many things we've complained about before yeah. where they're not aggressive or they're not putting the game in the hands of their best players. And late in the first half, they did. I loved top to bottom everything about how they played and how they were coached on Sunday. You know, I asked Zach that about that specific drive after the game about what did you really think you could go down and score there? Or was it more about the mindset of we're going to keep attacking and you're, you're, you're sending a message to the Bills? And and he said, you know, it was kind of they were feeling it out they were going to see what happened, but I, I, I agree with you. I was mm -hmm. surprised. I thought it was going to be more of a conservative, just take the knees, get to halftime. Um, I, I want to know, you talked about it being the most impressive and dominating win that this team has had. And there was a lot of talk in the press box among the media members about just that, about I can't believe that this game is playing out like this. And Paul kept reminding people, <laughs> a lot of football left, 
A lot of football left. <laughs> and oh when, man, that guy's the worst. Uh, no, no. Oh, how many no. how many comebacks left, do you have to how many how many comebacks do you have to see in a year between these and these two teams? That's Come where on. I'm going. At ha- th- that was being said in the yes, first half. You're right. You're right. It was. And that, but that's where I'm going with this is knowing, I guess, Bengals history, even though Burrow has changed that, knowing what Josh Allen is able to do with these comebacks. Like, when did you, Mo, feel comfortable that that, that, that game was truly in the bag and going to be a Bengals win? After the Mixon touchdown. Okay. Because my fear was they go to TV timeout, it's third and goal, here comes a shovel pass. And then <laughs> Did you draw it up? Um No, I, I didn't. I, I, I watched the game with two friends of mine. Uh and I, I kind of outlined that scenario and then one of you guys tweeted during the timeout, like, Oh, it's gonna be a touchdown and I held the phone up. Yeah. And we're gonna be okay. But yeah, <laughs> at, at that point I just I felt like okay, if if Buff if if the Bills respond with a score. The Bengals offense will regain control of the game because it happened twice, right? At 14-7, okay, you know what? The 14-0 start, it was gonna, it was gonna Buffalo was gonna cut into it at some point. And, and now it's it's about to be erased. And how are we gonna feel if at half it's tied? And then long drive. Part of it was just they ran the football so effectively. Part of it was I trust Joe Burrow because to me, a game like that is going to go the other way. If there's a backbreaking mistake. And I know, you know, against new England, Joe made some mistakes. There was the pick six that kind of swung the game in new England's favor, huge turning point in that game until uh, Von Bell and and DJ reader made the play. They did. Um, But I, I trust number nine to not screw it up. The Bengals were winning the point at the point of attack. They were unfazed by the conditions. They didn't seem phased by the venue they were in. So the mix and touchdown to me, to borrow from Dan Horde, Felt like coffin nails. Felt like okay, this is this is going to be okay. But that's to me that was the theme of the day. Uh, the, the two answers and the end of first half sequence kind of gave you a sense of calm. Like you know what, the Bengals offensively can push these guys around, can get yardage on the ground, and they've got number nine. They're going to have a response to anything that Buffalo does. Now, the 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 distant or maybe not so distant relative to there's still a lot of football left, guy was as the game is ending and Cam Taylor Britt is has has intercepted his pass and we're all high-fiving each other, the guy who comes over from the other table to go, job's not done, got two more. Thanks, pal. (laughs) You know what? (laughs) Thanks. You know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna solemnly walk back to my car with my (laughs) head down and and uh, and focus on the game next week. Let's do that. So I don't know if you guys are kindred spirits. I'm not sure how it works, but I, I I got that reminder before the game was even over, before all zeros on the clock. Hey, job's not done. Got two more. Did, did you tell that, that guy? That guy must have been fun to hang out with on Sunday evening. Bought a ball game left right before a halftime guy is not the same as don't enjoy this win guy. Okay, don't put me in this bucket. I was just trying to be realistic. We're one week away from twenty-seven to nothing Chargers. Okay, let's not let's not go there. Um, let's 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 dive into bets real quick, Jay, because we need to make sure we talk about what happened last week. What I mean, it's, it's important. These are these. This is important knowledge for everyone. It is. Uh, Paul hit his parlay. He went Eagles, San. He know he didn't even sweat them. Well, I guess you sweated San Francisco a little bit. Eagles won that game easy. Paul went uh, fifteen on that. Um, so nice parlay win. He he went five on Bengals Bills over. Uh, that did not hit. Um, so one and one for the week. But 
uh, scored enough points to take over the lead. He is Paul is now mm. at two fifty one point seven. Mo mm. is two oh five point mm. four, and I'm one eighty seven point mm. six. So we're getting a little. We're getting. Oh, yeah. Jay well, Chasing. I, did. I went fifteen on Bengals plus five. Uh, so that was a nice cover there, and not even cover. They won outright. Obviously, um, my parlay did not hit again. So um, Mo <laughs> went. 0-2 for the week. He had a Jags-Bengals money line parlay. Jags couldn't pull that off. Looked like for a while they might. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he had Bill's yeah. seven-plus sacks at for 3,300, and uh, that did not. The... <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty funny in retrospect. The value yeah, good flyer. Great. Value was great. Gets three back of linemen. Great value. Yes. <laughs> How could it not, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, Is that going to be the well, next rallying cry? Is that because they're always looking for reasons to yeah. be pissed off? Radio guy bet, us, bet, on, bet on us to give up seven sacks? Huh? Yeah, what I what I really enjoy about that, and I'm I'm writing the year in disrespect right now, Mo, which I'm very excited about uh, publishing. But uh, it's is is that now you have Bengals fans searching every corner of the internet for anybody <laughs> saying anything, so they can send it directly to like at Bengals. Hey, look, I found this guy said you guys are not as good as someone else is saying you yeah. are. Give that to Zach. I thought because Zach said that yesterday <laughs> that what what I would do is start you know just saying weird stuff, you know, about the Bengals since he's searching every corner of the internet. You know, I mean, just like, you know, Jamar Chase doesn't call his mom. I mean, it's stuff like that. Just to, you know, rally the guys. Give them some little extra. Mm. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's go with bets for this week. What do you, uh, what do you what, how, how are you going to acquire points this week? All man? right, well, so I, I'm just going to make this simple. Bengals plus 250 to win the whole thing. Um, if you think they're going to win the whole thing, well, then you think a player on their team is going to be the Super Bowl MVP. That's a quarterback's award. Joe Burr to be Super Bowl MVP is plus 330. So those are my two wagers. But here's what I'm going to do. So if you think the Bengals are going to win the Super Bowl, they will play either Philly or San Francisco. You can go to a book and bet on them to beat a specific opponent. Right now, Cincinnati beating Philly is plus 500, beating San Francisco is plus 700. If you think they're going to win the whole thing, you might as well make both bets. That's pretty good value on both. I'm only allowed two wagers here, so I'll make it simple. Give me Bengals to win the whole thing, plus 250, and Burrow to be the Super Bowl MVP, plus 330. These odds will come down if they win on Sunday. So if you think they're winning on Sunday, you might as well make your wager now. You know, I actually saw Burrow Super Bowl MVP at 350, so I'll be nice and I'll go ahead and give you that at 350. Wow. Take it. Yes, all right. Very good. Um, I'm I'm going to go Bengals Chiefs under with 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 Mahomes injury. I just uh it it sounds crazy with these two offenses, but I that that AFC Championship game last year was was uh, much more defensive than I think a lot of people expected. You have the Lou Anarumo factor, the Mahomes injury. I, I think this could surprise some people the way this could could maybe look like uh, Bengals Titans division game last year. Where this could really be points at a premium type of game, and uh, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ten on the under forty seven and a half, and then I'm just gonna keep going. I'm gonna keep taking my shots. I'm gonna go with a, a ten unit parlay. Uh, San Fran plus two and a half, Bengals minus one, and the over in the San Francisco Philadelphia game at forty five and a half. Keep firing, Jay. Just keep firing your shots. Running out of time. It'll turn out for you. You are running out of time. We're almost there. Uh, Mo, you took the words right out of my mouth. I already had it down. Bengals beating the 49ers 
in the Super Bowl at plus 700 for 10 will be my first one. Um, I, I think uh, it's just there's too much National Football League history symmetry. <laughs> Joe Montana will be on Radio Row for like oh, 180 yeah. straight hours talking about Super Bowl 23, talking about Super Bowl 16, talking about comparisons to Joe Burrow. I mean, he oh, will wait, be the most sought you, after. You, you, you know, you know this is true. You've been on Radio Row, okay? Yeah. You know who's walking around Radio Row? Who? Uh, uh, was it Ray Kofer was the kicker of that? He'll be walking around. <laughs> Mike, Kofer, Mike, Kofer, yeah. Mike Kofer. Mike yeah, Kofer. Yeah, he'll be walking around Radio Row. Okay, Harris. I don't know. Montana's Montana's stooped, man. He's got he's got some. Uh, he he's got the people that are behind him. He's selling stuff. He's got this thing with Burrow now that they're selling together. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, I think we're gonna see uh, Montana. How about this? Over under number of hours Montana is on Radio <laughs> Row. If that happens, I'll put it over under eight. And I'll take the over on that. If, if there's no there's no handicap on it, but it's just going to hit. I'll just do that for funsies. You know, uh, I have Joe Montana's phone number. We will try to get him on. Wow. Yeah. I once talked about there's how much I hated Joe brag. Montana. Somebody, I was on the air one one day talking about how much I hate Joe Montana, and one of my colleagues texted me a Joe Montana contact. I I haven't tried it. I haven't explored to see if it's really Joe. But if the Bengals play the 49ers. The, the the guy who ruined sixth grade for me. I will try to get him on the air. <laughs> uh, I had to finish off my uh, my other ten uh, to try to extend my lead. I'm gonna go McCaffrey. So this, you can find this uh, where at places. McCaffrey and Kittle touchdown and 49ers cover is going at plus six hundred. Uh, so I'll take that for ten as well. I I, I like the 49ers in this game. I think. Um, I think the Eagles are, I mean, they're clearly a very good team. I don't know that we can judge them properly off that Giants game. The Giants didn't, don't belong in the big five. Um, and so I, 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 the 49ers defense is just so real and, and Kyle Shanahan will continue to find ways, um, to, to score points. So, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to hit a couple big ones this week. I'm going, going big. So if it's, if it's Cincinnati versus San Fran, you will have the first player taken in a draft versus the last. Boy, nobody will Ooh. beat that angle to death. <laughs> no. <laughs> unless unless they start a suddenly healthy enough Ooh. Jimmy Garoppolo in his place. Ooh. How about that? Could you imagine? We were talking about the other day. It, 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 do you go back? You go back to remembering the Hostetler Super Bowl. Oh, right? sure. I mean, 90, the question yeah. of like, yeah. are they going to ride Hostetler the whole way? Are they going to take him the whole way? And they did. Yeah, Sims got you know, hurt I mean, there's... late in the regular season. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that year there was only one week between the, the championship games and the Super Bowl. And so, mm-hmm. you know, who knows what would have happened had there been the normal two. But, yeah, Jeff Hostetler. Could very, we could bring that conversation back. You always want to bring Hostetler back as much as possible. Uh, all right. Jeff Mo, Hostetler looked like a like an 80s porn star. That, that mustache. Do you have his number two? <laughs> I can find it. I'm just, actually. Get him on the show. I think he's, Get him on the I, show. Honest to God, I think he's Facebook friends with UC color analyst Jim Kelly for some reason. So <laughs> I think, I think he, that came up in conversation one day. <laughs> I want Hostetler on your show next week. And I'm like, did he did he think he was friending the the Jim Kelly he played in the Super Bowl? Like, <laughs> he probably did. <laughs> probably thought of, oh look, Jim Kelly, oh, football well, background. Yeah. Looks different. There we go. <laughs> All right, Mo, appreciate it, buddy. We'll talk See to you, you soon. See you guys. Take care. Yep.
All right, great to uh, catch up with Mo Egger, as always, from ESPN 1530. Um, good times, good times. Um, let's let's dive into, Jay, uh, a little bit. of. We're going through our segments okay. now. Um, we're we're going to hit up. It's, we'll, we'll start with some Arby's. It's a good trip, good trip to Buffalo. I bet a lot of people, Bengals fans, were out in mass, um, as they have been at seemingly every single road trip, particularly in the playoffs. Um, shout out to everybody. Thank you, everybody that came down uh, to Fatty Beer on Saturday night for our podcast with Tyler Dunn of Go Long. Um, it was a, a great time. A few of you came down, got some free graders out of it, some free graders coupons. It was it was good to see some of you. Thank you for the kind words mm-hmm. people that came down said, and even the mean <laughs> ones. I appreciate it too. It was a great time. Um, if I'm going to kick off this Arby's, I'm going to start. Kind of toward the end of the trip, it was it was the drive home, and we had already listened to um, uh, I can't remember what we listened to first, but you said let's listen to some of Dan's calls from the game, and so we're like, yeah, that's a great idea. So we've got the the phone hooked up through the car audio, and we're listening to, to Dan Hordes uh, and Dave Lapham's radio calls from all the big plays in the Bills Bengals game. And they get to the Jamar Chase touchdown that was overturned. And you hear the regular call for the touchdown, and then you hear Dan talking about how it's under review, and you hear the official uh, Carl Sheffers announce that the play was overturned. And Lapp says, oh, and then the, we hear a beep. And we, we thought for sure that, that Lapp cussed on radio. We were cracking up laughing. So... Paul rewinds it. We go to listen to it again, and we hear the the O and then nothing else. And it dawns on me that right when Lap said O and we heard the beep, I had an alert on the car that told me that there was so much ice on the front that the sensors were no longer working. <laughs> um, so that's what the beep was, was the alert on the car. We thought for sure Lap had dropped an oh shit on the broadcast. And Dan loved it so much <laughs> that he had to include it in the highlights. Uh, unfortunately, that is not what happened. It was just a simple O, oh, but uh, just incredible timing. I don't know how that happened that way, but um, it, it was amazing and it was very, very enjoyable. If if we attempted no. to do that a million times, we couldn't do it like that. It was the most perfectly timed beep you've ever heard in your life. It was unbelievable. I was like, oh, my God, Lap just, like, <laughs> dropped a massive, oh, shit, right in the middle of that call. Unbelievable. Sure yep. didn't. It was just the sensors. Un- unbelievable. Uh, that was hysterical. Um, I got to say, another. I have a, another car one. In fact, all these, I have, I have two car ones, technically. Um, this one is, you know, to entertain ourselves. Um, Skinny and I have have long uh, had a enjoyment of the game left, right, center. Those of you that have ever been to a uh, S- Greater Cincinnati Church Festival are probably very aware of this game. Uh, we have an L, an R, and a C, and some dots on a series of dice. You roll them, and uh, money gets circulated around. It's a complete dumb luck to see who basically wins. You know, a six dollar pot or something like that, and it's like a lot of lot of money circulation. Well, at one point, you know, we're on the way there, and Jay is making sure that we make good time. I'll just say that. We, you're just keeping us on a good pace, right? And uh, you, you weren't real tolerant of people not going as fast as you wanted in the left no. lane, and so you'd occasionally have to pass on the right. And uh, at one point, 
you were on a really nice clip, and it was your turn to roll the dice into the uh, into the Bose headphones case that we were using for our left, right, center roll. I mean, it was, I mean, better than the craps table as far as I'm concerned. And you are going about 85 miles per hour, passing in the right lane, rolling left, right, center dice all at the same time. I mean, it was quite a show of, of I mean, you, you just won't see an exhibition of, of driving uh, like, like you saw from Jay. And pr- truly impressive showing. A truly, that, in that moment, the crown jewel. I mean, I, if I remember right, it was a semi I was passing that was camping out in the left lane. It's not like there was a ton of traffic. It was it was an easy one-handed pass, and I rolled. Sure. I wish I could remember what the roll was, if it was good or not. Um, I do know that the only LCR game I won is when Seether came on the radio. They were my good luck charm, um, and, and then I went winless the rest of the trip. That's great. Um, so now. Second one I want to point out is after the game, we were getting back pretty late, and I was like, you know, didn't get a chance to eat at halftime. or after, I, just, I just wanted to just grab a quick something. Nothing's really open. It was a little too late. And I was like, I don't want to eat the sad fast food, but I think we're just going to have to. There's a McDonald's right next to the hotel. Like Now, we were at an airport hotel right across from the airport. I'm like, oh, I don't want to have sad late McDonald's. Uh, but you know what? I don't have a choice. I need to. I just need to eat something. I'll just go and get like a double cheeseburger and some fries and call it a day. So we go. We get in line. It first of all it takes forever, but that's beside the point. The order was because Jay, you wanted a, a a medium fry as well. One double cheeseburger, a medium fry, and another medium fry. The cost of that order. Was sixteen dollars and change? How how is this possible? What what is happening at this McDonald's? Where are we? Are we on the moon? Is there extra surcharges? Is it just because I can see an airport that you immediately can make everything triple the cost? I mean, I'm not meaning to be a back in my day guy, but this isn't even back in my day. A single quarter pounder with cheese. And two medium fries was sixteen dollars. What country are we living in? I've I, I was I honestly was so impressed. I wanted to give them more money. I, it's like this this has happened to me in the past. So there was a time where my wife and I we would love to go on trips and go to games and go to the gift shop and see what is like our favorite totally random team merchandise item you can find like whether it's like a Baltimore Orioles ducky or like a weird mascot on a you know on on a on a tape measure you know like oh, I, we have a San Francisco Giants tape measure you know I mean all these weird we have tons of weird stuff like this we would love to go there and find the weirdest thing one time we went to a Blue Jackets game and went in there and found a pizza cutter with a Columbus Blue Jackets logo on it which in itself is funny cost $32 and I was like I am so impressed that you decided to price this at $32 I want to pay it it's actually the perfect price point because the absurdity of the cost of this makes it more valuable for me that you are actually trying to charge we searched the internet what is the most expensive pizza cutter you could possibly find on the internet I found one for $17 and I felt really excited about that so it's the same premise I don't know how you're getting away 
with charging $16 for a double cheeseburger and two medium fries. But God bless you, Buffalo Airport and McDonald's. That was incredible. What we need to do, because we will be flying to Kansas City this week, and uh, that Terminal B at CVG has a, a McDonald's, a Gold Star, and a Chick-fil-A. We need to go to that McDonald's and see what a double cheeseburger and two medium fries would be inside. This wasn't even inside the airport. This was just across the street from the airport where they were charging that ridiculous price. And, oh, by the way, you said it, it took forever. I it, it was it was probably 25 minutes that we sat in line at that McDonald's, and that is not a stretch. It was three cars. Yes, it was, and Paul had already filed his story to our editor. I had not. Uh, so if Dave, if you're listening to this, um, blame McDonald's for my story being 25 minutes later than it should have been. <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks to uh, thanks to everybody that we saw at Buffalo. Yeah. Had a great time there. Uh, a fun trip. Um, no major snow issues, which was a nice touch. And we'll do it again next week. Off to Kansas City we go. If you uh, see us there, of course, say hello. Looking forward to that. We had a great time in Kansas City the weekend of the championship game last year. And I uh, look forward to doing it again. Barbecue will be had. Um, all right. Growler bet recap time. So last week, uh, our growler bet was what would the time of the last Bengals turnover be? They had a streak, and it continued. Of six straight games of the fourth quarter turnover, it is now seven after Cam Taylor Britt had an interception with one thirteen left in the fourth quarter. The snap came at one thirteen in the fourth quarter, so that was the answer. We gave a buffer of three seconds either direction. Before I get to the results, I do want to, of course, give props to some of the best subject header submissions uh, from the course of the week. Uh, Ray White, the silent assassin, our man who always has a good one, said, let the growler rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway, which we mentioned last week uh, in the Joe Burr stats segment. So appreciate that for tying the podcast back in. Uh, Tony Dubber, who said, growler, 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 junior, double, triple, growler. Appreciated that for that awful Burger King commercial. Um, I want to... Shout out to in the actual inside the email, Aaron Burns admitted that he has not shaved since Halloween because that's the last time the Bengals lost a game and it's getting pretty grisly. So shout out to you for some weird dedication and uh, apologies to your wife. Um, also shout out to Matt Lytle who said growler Brett growler bet brought to you by Jay Morrison of Manscaped, <laughs> <laughs> which is the greatest ad read of oh all time. Uh, <laughs> um, the answer being 113 Daniel Bayless said 123 in the fourth quarter Dan the Crow Magnon Magnan Magnon on Twitter said 122 in the fourth quarter so that draws a big ol' uh, so close but sorry no delicious 50 West beer for you no winners this week uh, maybe you will get some next week I I wanted to go late, and if you remember, my prediction was that the Bengals would get a two-point stop at the end of the game to win 28-26, so I went earlier in the fourth quarter. I went 11-11. Paul went 6-58 in the fourth quarter, so Paul won and clinched the season title. He now has a 9-6 lead. I cannot catch him, so uh, congratulations to Paul on on kicking my butt in the growler bets this year, but I'm, I'm not giving up. I'm going to try to make this a nine to eight final. 
Oh, that'd be nice. Maybe we maybe if there's a if there ends up being a Super Bowl one, there can be some extra do a double again. Put onto that for you. Yeah, sure. You <laughs> never know. Uh so that wraps up our uh our growler bets. Jade, run passer boot. Do we have the run passer boot? Uh, results? we do. Um we had two of them again, and the first one was uh, Josh Allen rushing attempts, the game's largest lead, or Evan McPherson kicking points. The The game's largest lead uh, was 17, the final margin, and uh, Allen had eight rushing attempts. Evan McPherson had eight kicking points. Um, Paul ran with lead. I ran with Allen rushing attempts and passed on lead, so Paul won that one. Uh, the second one... Boom was uh, what would happen first, a Burrow sack, a Bengals touchdown, or a Bengals red zone stop. Uh, Paul went with Bengals sack, no faith in the new offensive line. I went with Bengals <laughs> touchdown, uh, which was the case. The touchdown came um, with 11.40 left in the first quarter. The first sack came with 50 seconds, 56 seconds left in the half, and the Bengals' first red zone stop came with 7.42 left in the third quarter. Good split. It was. Good split. Good and uh and good run passer boots uh for last weekend's game. We'll have all of those for the Chiefs game and more on Thursday. Looking forward uh, to bringing you that episode again. Nate Taylor uh will be joining us from Kansas City with all the updates. I assume he's just been uh had his binoculars <laughs> out just staring at Patrick Mahomes' ankle from afar. Uh or I I actually prefer the idea of him with the binoculars out in the locker room, yes. just staring across the locker room at Patrick <laughs> Mahone's ankle. I feel like that's where we're at. Um tomorrow we will be uh in the locker room talking to the Bengals and your press conference will happen, which the no, the moment the big game moment well, I remember as a kid, always you knew it was a big game when the new backdrop to interviews shows up the afc championship game sponsored backdrop will replace the Bengals backdrop or at least it's supposed to i assume we're going to get that tomorrow the big game backdrop uh might show up in cincinnati uh, for the zach taylor and joe burrow press conferences so that's uh that's always always a big we it's a weird memory i have <laughs> as a kid of being like oh it is that week isn't it and we I can't even remember last year. I guess we did get it, but everything was Zoom last year. So this is it was on the Zoom. It was this, yeah. it was a new Zoom backdrop. That's true. Uh, very happy that's not. We said that multiple times after oh, the yeah. game yesterday. Thank God for open locker rooms. You know this. It's just there's just a unique story to tell there. We talked about that on the walkout, and that was uh, it was so nice to uh, be able to have that. And, and either way, you know, win or lose, unique stories to tell when you're allowed in there. So looking forward to doing that again on Sunday from the walkout from Kansas City. Looking forward to all of it. So thanks everybody for listening to hear that podcast ground. We will talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody. Mm-hmm.